coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and now at the Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Thanks so much for listening to Hometown Stories. It means a lot to us. If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you shared us with a friend, left us a review, or subscribed to Hometown Stories. That way, you basically get first dibs as soon as we release a new episode. You can also email us at hometownstories at wdbj7.com. We'd love to hear your hometown story. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. In 2019, we headed to the National D-Day Memorial in Bedford, Virginia for the 75th anniversary of D-Day. This small, rural community was left with a tremendous loss that day in 1944. Bedford suffered the highest number of casualties per capita of any community in the United States. They vowed to never forget their Bedford boys and all others who perished on the beaches. In this episode of Hometown Stories, in honor of Veterans Day, we're taking you back to the memorial, resharing one of our favorite episodes from our podcast series, The Final Salute. You can find more episodes on WDBJ7.com. It's to all of those communities in our country that nurtured these citizen soldiers who went away to war, and so many of them never came home. April Cheek Messier is giving me a tour of the National D-Day Memorial in Bedford, Virginia a 50-acre site dedicated to reminding people what happened on the beaches of Normandy. We need to know the enormity of what took place that day, and sometimes I think the only way you can understand that is to see how many gave their lives to make it possible. April is president of the National D-Day Memorial Foundation. A Bedford native herself, April grew up with the story of the Bedford boys. 20 young men gunned down in just minutes the morning of June 6, 1944. It was certainly um, a time of deep grieving and mourning um, that I think would happen for many, many, many years. I'm Leanna Scacchetti. I'm a reporter with WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. WDBJ7 has extensively covered the creation, development, dedication, and impact of the memorial over the years, but my visit a few weeks ago to the memorial was actually my first, where I got to know just how a massive military operation hundreds of miles away shattered lives in a small American hometown in a single day. It would take years for, for everyone to really grapple with what had happened. I think this is a community that that truly understands the high price of uh, the freedom, the cost that comes with that. And to die on that beach, it's tough. Just gotta remember them boys, all of them. This June marks 75 years since D-Day. The National D-Day Memorial hosts a ceremony to mark the occasion every year, but this one is called the Final Salute, acknowledging that we're losing more World War II veterans every day. In this episode and those to follow, you'll learn more about the Bedford Boys, the memorial, and the stories of a town left wondering what could have been, now promising to never forget. 
Bedford is a small community nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's not far from the Appalachian Trail and the Blue Ridge Parkway. You can find a lot of charming downtowns and gorgeous countryside with wineries and alpaca farms. It's quiet for the most part. This is an everybody knows everybody kind of place. But one of Bedford's most notable identities is its connection to D-Day. D-Day is known as being one of the most pivotal battles of World War II. Soldiers would invade the French coastline to try to push German soldiers out of Western Europe. It was a brutal campaign. According to the Memorial Foundation, Bedford was one of 11 Virginia communities to send their boys to war, most to the 29th Infantry Division. D-Day was the largest air, land, and sea operation undertaken before or since June 6, 1944. The landing included more than 5,000 ships, 11,000 airplanes, and more than 150,000 servicemen. On June 6, 1944, Bedford, which was a small town of about 3,200 at the time, would lose 20 of its young men in the first 15 minutes of Operation Overlord, codename for the invasion. That loss would turn out to be the greatest loss per capita of any American town. Decades later, Bedford would help create a national D-Day memorial site. It honors Americans and allies killed that day, but it pays special tribute to the Bedford boys, the 20 men now immortalized in stone with a single message to never forget. When you come to the D-Day memorial, you are taken up after you pass the visitor center along Winding Road to a circular one-way drive that brings you around the whole plaza. What you're hearing is part of the water feature. This is a very literal depiction of what happened on D-Day. The plaza uh, from where I'm standing at the very end facing the English gardens, the distance is meant to represent the channel that these young men would have crossed. There are statues of men uh, on the beach, some of them fallen, some of them still fighting. Those bursts of air that you're hearing are meant to represent the sound of gunfire on the water all around them. Then you get to the wall where there are men scaling the wall uh, as they are being shot at by the soldiers on the beach. Uh, the one that faces you as you stand atop the monument has a one leg up on the wall and one arm raised with a gun. and. His mouth is open as if to yell, I made it, at the top of the monument. If you raise your eyes up from the plaza, you see the beautiful greenery settled here in Bedford with the Blue Ridge Mountains circling this spot in the distance. So can I have you say and spell for me your first and last name? For this visit, I'm here for a tour with someone who's really important to the memorial. April Cheek Messier, I'm the president and CEO of the National D-Day Memorial Foundation. April's been part of this place for a long time, and she's a native to Bedford, so she's really familiar with the town's history. She starts off our tour at a statue called Homage. It's off to the side of the main plaza. Underneath, there's a plaque that tells the story of the Bedford boys. Well, the sculptor here, um, we have a soldier. He obviously has his battle equipment on. He has his M1 Grand slung over his shoulder. Um, a very solemn look, um, certainly a very reflective look, and he's staring down at what is a temporary grave. And the way the temporary graves were marked during World War II was with an inverted M1 Garand. The M1 Garand was the weapon that they carried, um, stuck in the ground. It had their helmet on top and the dog tags hanging from it of the soldier who had been killed. 
While this statue isn't made in the image of one person in particular, it is modeled off of a heartbreaking story about two of the Bedford boys, Roy and Ray Stevens. They were uh, always together. They went on their dates together. They even bought a farm together before they left for the war no way. and had uh, planned on coming back and um, raising families and, and working this farm. She went on to say that Roy was always certain he'd return from war, but Ray, on the other hand, had a really different feeling. He told Roy he didn't think he'd make it back, and he asked Roy to make sure the family was taken care of. Years later, April got to know Roy Stevens. He told her that the only thing that separated him from Ray was what happened on the morning of June 6th when they were put on separate landing craft. They had actually made a pact going in on the beach that morning that they would meet at Reville Samir, which was um, a, a kind of a high point right off the beach there, right off of, of where they were supposed to land. They were going to meet there, and Ray was going to shake his brother's hand. And Roy did not shake his hand that morning because he said, no, I'm going to meet you at Reville Samir. And he said that Ray just kind of dropped his head as if he knew he was not going to be there. They all head out at 6 a.m. Roy's landing craft actually hit an obstacle in the water and sank as they were making their way to Normandy. Those men were in the water for hours before being rescued and sent back to England. But Ray's made it to the beach. He was among those killed in the first 15 minutes, but it wasn't until a few days later Roy would find out. And he came across the cemetery. And it was a temporary cemetery where they had buried many of these young men who had lost their lives that day. And he went to the S section of that cemetery and he knocked a clump of dirt off the dog tag that was hanging there. And that first grave that he came to was that of his twin brother. Roy would always regret not shaking his brother's hand. He did his best to make up for it years later. For the 50th anniversary of D-Day, Roy returned to the beaches and he went to that uh, particular uh, area where he was supposed to meet his twin brother and he raised his hand as if to shake his hand um, to the heavens. In the time that followed the Great Depression, April says a lot of the young men found the military a great opportunity. They had steady work, steady pay, steady meals, and a lot of them were proud to show off their uniforms, especially to the young ladies in town. Some of the boys were brothers, cousins, and boys indeed. Some of them were just teenagers when they headed off to war. Not all of them finished school. Some worked for the railroad, others worked on family farms. Some left behind many brothers and sisters, but most came from God-fearing, church-attending families. Nineteen of them died that morning in the first few minutes from Company A. A 20th, Benjamin Hubbard, in Company F was also killed on the beach. More Bedford boys would die as the war went on, but it was this sudden death of these 20 that put the whole town in a state of shock. It's a mid-July um, day. And Elizabeth Taze, who's a young telegraph operator, is sitting down to do her job as she normally does. And the telegrams start coming into her machine as she turns it on. and. It begins telling her, one after another, that Bedford, we have casualties. April thinks the community was in such shock, nobody realized the impact it was going to have and the loss it would endure for many years. And it didn't make it any easier that returning veterans rarely, if ever, talked about it. But the loss stayed with those families, including the families of Raymond and Bedford Hoback. April says they were one of 33 sets of brothers fighting that day and one of the three sets of brothers from Bedford. Their sister Lucille has written down a lot of what she remembers, and she told April she remembers when they first found out one of her brothers had been killed. Several days after June 6th, the Hoback family was getting ready for church, and there was a knock at the door. 
Lucille wrote, looking pained and mumbling a few words to Dad, the sheriff handed him a piece of paper, a telegram. The War Department regrets to inform you, it began, that your son, Private Bedford Turner Hoback, has been killed in action. That catapulted the family into immediate grief. But for the Hobacks, it was only the beginning. Lucille wrote, The next day, in our childish way, my sister Rachel and I thought we might cheer our folks up by making them some ice cream. We were over the freezer, cranking away when there was another knock. The War Department regrets, the too familiar preamble read, to inform you that your son, Staff Sergeant Raymond Samuel Hoback, is missing in action. Mom and Dad were overcome with grief, and I along with them. To this moment, I can remember nothing else that happened that day. Time simply stopped. Lucille would always say, when her mother was on her deathbed, she looked up at everyone and she said, where are my boys? Where are my boys? And Lucille always said when she closed her eyes, she knew for the final time she finally saw her boys. It really, again, just reinforces that that, that loss for these families never went away. Raymond's body was never found, but a soldier walking the beaches after the invasion came across a Bible. He picked it up and scribbled on the inside was the name Raymond Samuel Hoback with a home address. The soldier mailed it to Raymond's mom. And that's the only thing she had from her son was that Bible, which always stayed right with them. Her mother treasured that as, as Lucille does now. Like Roy Stevens' story, the Hoback story is almost immortalized here. At the basin of the memorial, several statues appear to emerge from a landing craft. One is working his way out of the water, two side by side are struggling up the beach, and a third is face down in the sand, a holy Bible splayed out next to his head. April says a lot of veterans who did return felt guilty. Many suffered from PTSD. Most never talked about the war, D-Day, or anything they'd seen. But one veteran with a vision decided to change that. His name was Bob Slaughter, pioneered the idea, the town of Bedford donated land, and fundraisers contributed thousands of dollars, including from famed cartoonist Charles Schultz. Slaughter was at the dedication in 2001 and walked side by side with President Bush. Already an elderly man then, Slaughter was wearing his uniform and sunglasses while he addressed the crowd. As has been the Foundation's practice for previous public programs, we shall dispense with formal introductions. Today, the memorial says it sees more than 60,000 visitors a year. Carlin, Greece, Czechoslovak, and the Netherlands. There are regular tours and a lot of educational trips for students of all ages. And the names of every American and Allied soldier killed that day are written on the plaques along the plaza. All of the American names are on this side. And then we have all the Allied names listed on this wall. April has been here since the beginning. She intends to see that the Bedford boys and all others who perished on the beach may forever be remembered for paying the ultimate sacrifice. This has been people and veterans and organizations coming together to say, this is important and we wanna make sure uh, it's built and we wanna make sure the story is told over and over and over again so the next generation understands what took place that day and how we can never forget those sacrifices that were made. The Bedford boys are Leslie Abbott Jr. Wallace Carter, John Clifton, Frank Draper Jr., Captain Taylor Fellers, Nick Gillespie, Bedford and Raymond Hoback, Clifton Lee, Earl Parker, Jack Powers, Weldon Rosaza, John Reynolds, John Schenck, Ray Stevens, John Wilkes, Gordon White Jr., 
Elmer Wright, Grant Yoth, and Benjamin Hubbard you'll get to know in the next episode of The Final Salute. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. I'm Leanna Scacchetti. Our editor is Ben Raquelmi. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.